dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hey friends, thanks for listening. You are tuning in um, a little bit late to a live episode that we did a few weeks ago while I was out in LA for a retreat. And um, Father Michael is talking on this episode about feasting and some of the feasting traditions that we have, not just as a church, but also as families. And you can hear Father Michael and I share some of our stories, as well as hear some of the stories of those who were guests at, uh, at our live episode. You also, if you were just dying of curiosity, get to hear um, what Father Michael's favorite desserts are. Uh, we, I, we didn't pay attention to how much banter there was. So if you're a hashtag banter hater, I am sorry. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Hello, audience of 20. It's I told, definitely I, more than 20. I, I told them not to make noise, so they're they're really not making noise. I know. <laughs> that's fine. We heard a couple of woos. Except for the coffee that's <laughs> brewing in the background. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so we are in Los Angeles. Um, mother came out for her retreat. She finished it yesterday. And uh, we recorded this morning at the beach that those of you that are watching live will see in a few weeks. Those of you that are not will probably get this I the week totally before. I totally forgot that we were live. Like I was thinking that we were just recording. Okay. Like live with people here, but not. <laughs> no, we're also live on Instagram. I didn't even recognize my, recognize my own phone because I have the, the case on there. Um, so anyway, thank you all for coming. <laughs> we appreciate it. Cowboy's tradition of opening a drink. Thank you, cowboy. Uh, venerable Byzantine tradition. Um, so mother finished up her retreat yesterday. Um, we recorded on the beach today with some friends. It was great. And then uh, and then now we have about, what, 25, 30 people in-house? 28. 28. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Max, <laughs> Max left. So is it 27 now? 27. Oh, okay. They just counted just now. Got it. <laughs> um, so welcome, everybody. <laughs> um, so this is my thought, mother. We didn't. This is my topic, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I mean, you announced Natalie, it as Natalie like, we're going to yes. do questions so, and answers. We are going to do question and answer. If you have any questions and answers. But I, I did want to maybe orient the questions and answers in general. We can do that just because we've done this before with general questions and answers. Um, and today I just I was thinking about what do we want to do for a topic? How do we want to involve people? Things like that. And so I, I Googled, um, first I Googled, I think, like Byzantine, or I think I Googled Orthodox fathers feasting or feast. I was like, what have, what have the fathers said about feasts? And literally Google thought I meant fasts. <laughs> and so it gave me all these quotes on fasting. And I was like, no, 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 I want to do one on feasts. Feasts, I could, I mean, like within a 10 minute search, I could find nothing. Hmm. Um, so I thought we talk about fasting all the time, right? It's a very, very Eastern Christian thing to fast. Um, but I would love I, I didn't pull up any writings of the fathers. I have my festival name here. I actually have the epistle that we read today that I think is very applicable. I'll read parts of it in a moment. Um, but if all of our audience who are in-house, um, I would love to do a deep dive into feasting. Like, what do we do during the church feasts? We obviously have fasting times. Uh, we, uh, on the Gregorian calendars, finished up the Feast of Dormition. I know that our Coptic brothers and sisters who are here are right in the middle of their Feast of Dormition. So you guys are feasting right now, which is beautiful. We just finished up. We're still feasting in a sense. Um, but I, I thought it would be cool to explain a little bit about what comes from our tradition, what we do for feasts, but then also just get some either questions or, or more appropriately stories about feasting. Um, especially feasting according to the church year and what that means. Um, so I'll kick it off with this. Um, I preached today. Today was the, we celebrated the Thursday of the 12th week after Pentecost. By the way, um, today's the Feast of St. Titus and Paul mentions Titus a lot in the, in the I thought that day. was really appropriate. I totally thought that it was, it was for him. You thought I did the one for the saint? No, because I planned it. I mean, I, I put this on your seat. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and I marked it beforehand. Um, but I, I thought afterwards, I thought, was this really four times? It's not. It's You're just, like, did Mother Natalia do the wrong reading again? Uh, again. <laughs> um, what was it last? Oh, on Sunday? It was a few Sundays ago when I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I started out and I was like, a reading from the letter of St. Paul the Apostle to the Galatians. A reading from the letter of. <laughs> and I, three. It took me three times to get it right. 
Um, yeah, it was, it was beautiful and funny. Um, so this this is Second Corinthians seven one through ten, and it, it is just it's the reading epistle for the thirty Thursday of the twelfth week after Pentecost. Um, anyway, it mentions Titus, but it it struck me because I had already wanting. I already wanted to talk about feasting um, today. And I think if you could all, those of you that are gathered here could actually think of stories. It doesn't have to be a religious feasting. Just when you think of feast, I don't mean just food. I mean, everything around the food. Obviously feasting has a lot to do with food. Um, but what does it mean in your family, in your upbringing? What does it mean to celebrate something? What does it mean to, to have a feast um, to understand, especially after a time of fasting. That's how the church does it, right? Especially for our big feasts. They, they happen after time of fasting. So this is gonna be very non-teaching. I just, I like, I love short stories. Um, I'll ask you mother to come up with a couple as well. I'll explain a little bit how this works in the church. Um, but something struck me and I'll just kick it off with the, with the epistle for today. Again, this is 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 10. Um, if we know 2 Corinthians, we know that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and he was quite critical of the community in Corinth. So the community in Corinth um, was doing a lot wrong. He had gone there, he had founded a church, and then pretty much after he left, all these other false apostles came in. They were trying to convince the people of Corinth that Paul was not a true apostle. This is why he's so defensive of the, the title apostle in 1 Corinthians. He, in 1 Corinthians, he excommunicates a guy from the community. He's quite critical of what's happening in Corinth after he leaves, after he gets word back. So he's very, very harsh and very critical, but in, of course, a beautiful way. It's the word of God in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians comes along now. And as you'll see in this reading, as, you, as all of you that are here heard in, in the divine liturgy, um, he's, he's trying to explain to them why they shouldn't just be sad. <laughs> After they got the first letter, he got word back that they were sad. And he even uses that word in the epistle today. They, 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 they figured he was mad at them and, and, and they, were, they were responding. I think he thought he had to be harsh. Um, but he responds to them in this part of 2 Corinthians really by, by showing, as telling them how much consolation he has and what brings him joy. And he uses that word joy a few times. I thought, well, that's really at the heart of our feasting is, is joy. After a fast, after the, the self-gaze of, of understanding my own sinfulness and trying to understand the immensity of my own sinfulness, the feast comes along and I realize that Christ has truly trampled death and he has conquered sin. Um, so there's a couple, a couple of phrases here I'll start with just to give us some scriptural beginning. He says, um, make room for us in your hearts. I just, that's a beautiful image. Make room for us in your hearts. We have injured no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not condemn you. I have already said that you are in our hearts, even so, even to the sharing of death and life together. I speak to you with utter frankness and boast much about you. I am filled with consolation and despite my many afflictions, my joy knows no bounds. Later on, he says, um, I was given strength with the arrival of Titus. This he did not only by his arrival, but by the reinforcement Titus had already received from you. For he reported your longing, your grief, and your ardent concern for me, so that my joy is greater still. If I saddened you by my letter, I have no regrets. Or if I did feel some regret, because I understand that the letter caused you grief for a time, I am happy once again. Not because you were saddened, but because your sadness led to repentance. And then he continues on. Um, so with, with feasting in mind, I thought th there's, there's an example here of what he's saying is that they, there was grief for a time. There was sadness for a time. That there was, in a sense, the time of fasting when we were focused on the things that, that generally help us to understand how we've been sabotaging our relationship with Christ all this time. And then the time of the feasting comes along and because of the people, in this, in this case, Titus, uh, because of the, the situation they're in, um, they, are, they are called almost by his command to now feast to now find joy, especially since they've now received a second letter from him. And, and he hopes that that letter will bring some joy. Um, so the way this works in the church uh, is basically, especially especially in our Byzantine church, we have four fasting seasons. And then there four, we have many, many more feasting seasons. Um, but the biggest of course is the great fast, 40 days of Lent plus great and holy week. 
and then we go into Pascha. Uh, traditionally, for those of you that are listening for the first time, I guess um, we would we would be fasting pretty intensely. So meat, dairy, wine, and oil are are pretty much sacrificed the entire time. In the early church, you would have gotten rid of those things within the within the weeks before the great fast. You wouldn't even have them in your home for the entire great fast. And, and eggs and seafood with a backbone. Eggs and seafood are the backbone exactly. So those are those both fit into meat and dairy according to their definitions um, in the early church. So so in other words, you you gave up a lot. Your life changed greatly, and then all of a sudden on, on Pascha morning, on on Passover morning, on Easter morning, you ate all these things in abundance. So this is a story I tell very often. I probably even told it on the podcast. But when Mother Natalia was not Mother Natalia, when she was simply Victoria, um, she went hardcore. Like she decided to to live the great fast out in its fullness. And so no beet, no meat, no dairy, all the, no wine, no oil the entire time. And then so then she and a couple of the zealous young adults in my parish convinced me to do midnight office for Pascha, which pretty much you, you do it at midnight. So as soon as midnight is over, then you can feast, even though we hadn't had matins yet. So they convinced me to do this. So we do midnight office, then we go to our old haunt called Old Chicago, and it's just a pizza place. And I get a pizza and I get beer and I'm having my Pascha feast with like, what, six of us that are there. And mother just orders like- Chicken mac and cheese with bacon added and a glass of milk. <laughs> it was not it, it was not a glass of milk. It was like two liters of milk, <laughs> right? And so she had not had any milk. So it's like one in the morning and we're sitting in this restaurant and she just downs this entire like two liter thing of milk after having no dairy for over 40 days. And she drinks the whole thing and then the look on her face just changes from like complete joy to utter horror. And she gets up and runs to the bathroom and we're praying for her um, while saying Christ is risen. And, and, then, and then she comes out of the bathroom like five minutes later and looks very flushed and you can tell what happened and she just goes, totally worth it. <laughs> And I was like, that, 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 that's like, that's the feeling of feasting. Something's supposed to change. Christ is risen. Every, it's more gluttony. <laughs> every, <laughs> that's, the, that's the one, one of the few weeks that gluttony probably changes definition a bit. Sli- slight change in the definition of gluttony. Who, who wants to cry heresy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll grab the microphone. Um, so anyway, th- so, and then, and then you feast and you, and you, and you feast for, for 40 days, really. We won't go to the details of we still fast on Fridays, things like that. But especially the week after Pascha for eight days, it's all like Pascha. It's all the celebration of, of, of Easter, the resurrection of our Lord. Um, you stand up the whole time in our church. The royal doors are open. Um, you're, you're singing Paschal Matins, which is a very, very celebratory uh, canon and Matins feast. You celebrate that Paschal Matins every single morning. And this is this is the experience, is, is food. Um, also, one thing I love about Pascha to talk about kind of the greatest of the feasts is that, and this isn't something that I've heard from anybody. This is just something I've perceived. So I could be completely wrong. So please forgive me if I am. But on on Pascha morning, um, you're celebrating in a sense, the intimacy of the resurrection. You're celebrating those who saw it first, Mary Magdalene, the myrrh-bearing women, the apostles. There's all this confusion and, and, and surrounding, did Jesus really rise? Where's his body, et cetera. Um, the next day, you walk around the church and proclaim the resurrection of the four corners of the world. And so I, I think that there's very much in- I.e. we typically do this at the four corners of the church building. Exactly. So the four corners of the church building and you, 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 you proclaim the resurrection from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the four corners of the church building to the four corners of the world. Um, but I've always perceived this and even the, the Prochemenon is about carrying the message to the world. Um, it's very much about proclamation. So. Pascha itself is, is kind of like for family, and this fits into feasting, right? Pascha itself is for family, the intimacy of, of who we celebrate it with our parish. But then even the next day, we're carrying this message of Christ is risen out to the whole world. And it, it's actually part of our liturgy mm. to do that. And then you celebrate for eight days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know celebration looks different to different cultures, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of what I want to what I want to get at. I would love to do just a, a very personal reflection from experience upon what it means after a fasting period to feast. Yeah, I can I say a couple things about that before Absolutely. we take questions or whatever. Yeah. Okay, uh, one is I like this concept of what you're saying 
like when you were sharing the reading from Second Corinthians and St. Paul talking about how um, he's okay with the fact that there was sadness. And then he says, um, well, if I did have remorse over the sadness, I'm now happy again because the sadness had this purpose of, of um, leading you towards repentance. Yeah. And like, I like that you compared that to fasting because this is the point of every every fast that's meant to lead to the feast. Um, like we're never meant to end at the fast, right? We're always meant to 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 get to the feast. And every death, we're called to um, a resurrection. And so we're never meant to end in the death either. And And every sadness is meant to lead to a joy. And... So I like that analogy, or I like that comparison a lot because I was just having a conversation with with Max, who was here earlier, about how suffering, like we talk about redemptive suffering in the church, and um, this is good and beautiful. Like God wants to use um, our suffering for purification, absolutely, but we're never called to suffer simply for the sake of suffering. Like suffering in and of itself is not, a good thing, yeah. right? Yeah, it's um, it's part of the fallen world, but, um, but he uses the suffering, and so I think it's very much like what Paul is saying here of, um, the suffering, the suffering is called to to bring us to some sort of deeper understanding and some sort of purification, just as the sadness led led the Corinthians to repentance. Um, and the fasting is led to feasting and the death is always called to lead us to a resurrection. Like the things that we sacrifice during the great fast um, are meant to help us to more fully embrace the Paschal season. So that's one thing that I was thinking about. But also, um, also I probably shouldn't have downed a glass of milk. I was thinking about that too. It, <laughs> It was probably not worth it. Um, at the time, it really felt worth you it. You just but. ruined the whole story. I'm for really me. sorry. I love that story. I, I know. Really the first time you told it, it was on national radio. And I was like, I can't believe he just told the story about me vomiting on national radio, on some sort of Catholic radio thing that you were on. Oh. I don't know. Um, and what's funny is you started the story and you said, one time, one of my parishioners, and I just knew immediately, I was like, this is something that I did. Um, so, anyways. Uh, no, I don't regret it. It was delicious. <laughs> I, I love milk. Dairy is always the hardest thing for me to fast from um, in fasting seasons. I like I could go without meat, although I do miss bacon. But um, dairy, I love cheese so much. Um, anyways, same. the huh? Hashtag same. Yeah. Um, but what was I going to say about the death and the resurrection? Oh, so. Feasting, it's interesting that you were saying that it's not even just about food. So there is something very particular about like on on the Paschal, at, at the Paschal liturgy on, on Sunday morning, um, Easter Sunday, we have the blessing of the baskets, right? And like we have in our book of blessings, the blessings for the meat, the blessings for the cheese, the blessing for um, other dairy products. And it's like all in there given to us by the church, which is really fun. But then uh, also it's not just about the food and it's very much, I think the feast, just like the resurrection, is meant for us to be a time of of rest as well. Um, not just physical rest, but like resting in the ease of the feast and the fact that we're no longer fasting anymore and that we have this like time of reprieve because the church and her wisdom also like the prayers are just so much shorter. Um, oh, like yeah. I realized that for, for all of the entire week after Pascha, the prayers are so much shorter. And I realized that uh, the Paschal liturgy might seem long to, um, to people who go to divine liturgy on Sunday morning who aren't used to going to matins as well, because resurrection matins is part of the liturgy on, on Pascha. Uh, but but the resurrection matins is so much shorter than a usual matins, mm -hmm. right? It's like typical matins is two to two and a half, well, three hours, like anywhere from two to three hours. And on on Paschal morning, resurrection matins is like an hour. Um, How many of you knew that Easter matins was shorter than normal matins? 
one one it's, hand. It's true. It's true. Like so I, much shorter. I never even thought of that though. And then <laughs> the cops are like, no. <laughs> and all of the um and all of the all of the liturgy, like during the during Bright Week, the week after Pascha, the hours, which for us are normally like twenty minutes, five minutes. Yeah. Compline, which is normally thirty minutes, five minutes. Like yeah. it's they're all so short, and um, and this isn't like we're abbreviating. Like these are the services that are given to us by the church. Um, so I don't know. I never even thought of that, but that's totally true. When we when we're in a feasting season, everything is actually shorter, at least in our tradition. Right. Yeah. Like it might seem like there's more for lay people because they're going to church more frequently for the things. But yeah. for those who are used to praying those, like all of those services yeah. are shorter. Wow. So. Cool. Okay, Mother, I uh, before we open it up, I would love to, if you had some experiences from growing up, from when you can remember until now. <laughs> um, Maddie's <laughs> laughing because I have like the worst memory ever. <laughs> With, anyways, just keep going. We're not going to give the nuance, just keep going. Um, uh, so, like, what would you consider the greatest celebration, joy, feasting in in your life, especially in your family growing up? What, what, if you heard, like, what did you look forward to every year, and and what did that entail? How, how was that a feast? Um, you know, I don't know if this applies, but the very first thing that came to mind was, um, like, the greatest joy in my family. The thing that we always looked forward to was my dad coming back from deployment. Mm. Um, and it was like this, this time of, that actually applies really well. I think like we, so we would always, my mom would, um, when he would go on like six or nine, nine month deployments or whatever, um, we would make paper chains. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the, we would make links out of, um, construction paper. And then every day he was gone, one of us got to like rip away the, um, Mm. one of the links to, to look at how, like we would just string it up across the living room or whatever. Um, and so you knew when the de- deployment would end and mm-hmm. you were counting down to that. Moment. Yeah, so I think it is actually really applicable. Yeah. Uh, but there's I think it shows the beauty of the fast. I know for a lot of a lot of military families that could um push parents away from their kids, but but for my dad it's like when he was home, he like he was there and he was taking us to the beach or taking us to play tennis or or whatever it was. And um so I think it very much was one of these things of like our hearts ached so much. And then um when he when he was there, the fasting just made it all the more all the more tangible. And um yeah, I don't know. I think mine, I had a few come to mind, and he actually, you made me think of my dad. Um, he was always on call, but he was, he, he was, he worked at a hospital, but he was never, he never missed a Christmas morning mm. until one year. And uh, I was in bed, I heard his pager go off, mm. and I heard him get up. And I was probably like 10. And I remember like my, my, the, my bedroom door was open, and I saw him walk out wearing scrubs. And I just thought, oh no, like, Christmas morning is just my favorite thing. Like Christmas noon, I'm already counting down to the next year. Like I'm like 364 days to go. Like, like I just love Christmas morning. I love everything about it. And and if my dad wasn't there, it was just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed awake or thought I stayed awake the entire night. And I probably told the story before. And then my mom comes in the morning. I'm like staring at my open door the whole mor- the whole night. My mom comes in the morning and says, okay, boy, it's time to get up and open your presents. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. I, we're not doing that until dad gets here. It's, just, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, your dad got home like four hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must have dozed off. But it, it was it was like the, the best news ever, mm. best Christmas ever, because it was like after all of this like lack and thinking. So that made me think of that. I think my favorite though was not only Christmas morning, but it was also my birthday because it was like, what movie are we going to watch? All my friends are staying over. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to play these games. We're going to, you know, have like a whole 24 hours to just do whatever we want as, as little kids. Um, and then we got, my mom always made uh, whatever kind of cake we wanted to. And my mom actually made, um, she's an amazing baker. So she would have, what, what kind of cake do you want? What kind of frosting do you want? And then for the big, she started making this later on. But when we had all the family together, she would make a big pan and put chocolate on one side, vanilla on the other, then flip the frosting. 
So mm. the frosting was chocolate on one side, vanilla on the other. So you could have any of the combinations you wanted. <laughs> one kind of cake, one, one kind of frosting. Every Easter and every Christmas, it was pumpkin pie, lemon meringue pie. That was it. I still, those are my two favorites to this day because of that. Um, but yeah, it, it was very much family or friends, food, and and no work, <laughs> I guess, was what it was. Um, so I'd love to have, um, we're 24 minutes in, I'd love to have other stories about, about what feasting is, especially a feasting after a time of asceticism, feasting after a time of sacrifice, feasting after a time of of fasting, in other words. Anybody, any thoughts, stories? You look this way, Mother, because you can see them, and I'll look this way. So raise your hand. Just because I, I can't see behind me. <laughs> Andrew Whaley's making a heart at me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Whenever Mother's around for Andrew Whaley. Is that a hand, Laura? Laura, no. She's like, no. <laughs> no, sir. No, definitely not. I think Maddie put a hand up. <laughs> All right. We need at least one person to kick it off because then the floodgates open. Just one person. Cowboy's coming. Favorite story as a kid. My squirrel. By the way, shout out to Cowboy because he's yet again letting me use his sock monkey mug for one of our recordings. And that's just, so this is um, my squirrel cowboy. Uh, well, hold on a second, because Father Michael's not getting the mic to work. Um, why don't we just give him my mic? Let's do that. I'm just going to put this mic right here. All right. Hello, listener land. Um, I, I, I have a story, but I, I want to share a story about Father Michael first. Um, it's it's not it's not that kind of story. Um, it's an inspirational spiritual father kind of story. Um, we had a discussion on fasting and feasting. I don't know six eight months ago, and he explained that in the West, I'm a Latin right Catholic, we mandate the feasts and make the fasting optional. Mm. Holy days of obligation are the feast days, and most of us just kind of go to Mass because we have to. But in the East, they mandate the fasting so that the feasts are optional. And when you fast, you want to feast. So it made me change the way I think about the feasts, especially feasts that we have that are separate in your liturgical calendar, like All Souls Day, etc. because you have five of those. Um, we only have one. Um, but I think personally my favorite my favorite feast is Thanksgiving. Um, my mom is a amazing chef. She ran a catering company for years. And so when we had Thanksgiving, she went all out. She had it all. And it, like you said, it's food and family. And she would have everyone she knew invited. And most of them showed up because the food was always so good. So I think that's my favorite feast. But liturgically, I've started living a different lifestyle because of the feasting and the fasting of the, of the Eastern understanding. Um, if I do actually fast, I do want to feast when we need to feast because these are things liturgically we're celebrating for a reason. That's my, that's my two cents. Thanks, Kelly. Good job, Father Michael. That also, thank you. <laughs> that was the thing. Yes, it was. It's okay. okay. Um, it, it also, sorry, <laughs> all these inside jokes that nobody's getting. Um, it, it, there's also something about, because I, I think for feasts, like you hear in the scriptures all the time, that, that, that a king threw a feast for his son mm. or something like this. And, I, and from what I've heard from commentators is, is a lot of the, the power behind these feasts was that most people didn't really eat till they were full. Or at least you didn't you didn't do that over a course of multiple days, and the, the, these feasts were a time when when you ate till you were full. You know, you 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 actually felt different. You know, nowadays we we eat till till we're full almost all the time, and so it's not feasting doesn't have that same feeling of feasting. Um, and I think because everything moves so quickly nowadays with with our availability to 
um, get whatever we want when we want it. We just don't have the same sense of anticipation mm-hmm. to something that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a wedding, right? We we get so few weddings, especially our own. Like you, you, you try to plan out everything because, and that's how many things were back in the day, where you you planned it out, you put the work in, all of these things to have this one thing you look forward to that was months away. And we just we 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 have so many luxuries. We can have we can be full anytime we want. You know, and it, it, it kind of takes it's taken away the that same feeling of feasting that the church has embraced as, as an aspect of even worship and gratitude towards God. There's also a wisdom, I think, given to us in the way that the church has these cycles of, of fasting and feasting, because I just know like at the end of every bright week, so bright week is the one week of the year at the monastery that we do no work. Like we don't have anyone on Pustinya. We don't, we still do the prayers, but like I said, the prayers are much shorter. And um, even like we try to make dinners really simple so that we don't have to cook very much. We do some of it even ahead of time. And um, so there's just no work whatsoever. And it's, we spend a lot of time as a community and um, and a lot of like free time as well to just read or write letters or whatever. And by the end of Bright Week, it's like the perfect timing of I'm ready to go back to work. I'm not like bored with the free time. I'm not like, when is this going to be over? But it's just like the very first day back to work. Um, I'm ready to go back to work. And so I think that there is a great wisdom um, that the the church gives us in these cycles as well. So, and like by the end of the great fast, I love fasting, as you know, Father Michael. And by the end of the great fast, I'm like, I am 300% ready for the resurrection. Um, so. It's almost like we, we eat too much. We work too much. We don't fast enough in society. Like we're, we're, we're trying to imitate something from the past. Mm. I mean, even now in the fasting seasons, I always have to say, this is the tradition. As if like, this is what they did a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's rare that we say, I think that, that the, the way that the church cycle was built to, to enjoy fasting and feasting, we've, we've watered it down on both ends. We've watered down the fasting and the feasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've made it really hard to experience that cycle in its fullness. I think that's why one of the reasons why young people get so bored with the church and, and they get bored with life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we, we don't have the we don't have the the feeling of sacrifice. I mean, this sounds horrible, but you know me well enough. Like I will try to say, okay, I like I like going out to my favorite restaurant, my favorite bar, whatever, and I'll try to say, I'm not gonna do that unless I get my whole checklist done. And I'll say that. At the beginning of the checklist, mm-hmm. but it's so hard to be disciplined enough to be like, I didn't finish the checklist. I'm not going to go out, <laughs> right? And so th- that's how it is. Like all these things are so available to us, we have to create a fast mm-hmm. to feel like we're feasting. We have to create something like here's the sacrifice, here's the emptying that's going to make fast feasting a filling up, mm-hmm. right? That's what we say during the great fast, right? I, I empty myself of myself during the fast. So that I can be filled up with Christ on the feast, um, but it's just every day is a fasting and a feasting, and we try to avoid. Oh, she's bringing you of, feasting food. Oh, it's pumpkin and pumpkin and lemon meringue. It is. Thank you for pointing that out. Aww. this is a feast, Catherine. Catherine Thank you. is so sweet. By the way, this is formerly Catechumen Catherine of that podcast. If you guys listen, yeah. Now, now neophyte Catherine or baptized Catherine or. Um, fully communicated, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. You're very, you're very thoughtful. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even picked up on it yeah. unless you had said it either. So, thank you. That's very thoughtful. Um, yeah, I, I would love anybody to have a story, but I would love a story that that also is a little bit outside the box with fasting and feasting. But we don't need that. So, but other stories about feastings, like you guys, all have to have your favorite stories. From growing up, about what made a feast a feast. I hear movement from behind me. Is someone coming? I think they're escaping. They're escaping. Aww. Yeah. Aww, bye. bye. I love you, Aunt. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Why is she leaving? It's fasting now for mother. Her friends are taking off. All right, here comes Whaley. And Whaley, he can have mine. Okay. You're leading. Oh, this might be the first time you're listening to seeing one. Oh yeah, this is Andrew Whaley of that. What did we call the coffee episode? Do you remember? No. I don't know Do you remember? 
I stopped getting texts when I got name dropped on the on the show because you just did it all the time. <laughs> um, well, it's like being in ho- hospitality is my my work and my charism is my my, my apostolate. So I'm feasting means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Feasting is kind of like what I do. And so there's two things that I want to talk about. One of them is, is that I think that feasting, we talk about the cycle of fasting and feasting in this big macro cycle, right? But you were talking a little bit about like a smaller cycle. Like if I don't get my list done yeah, or whatever. Like a daily. One thing that I love is that when you do what I do for a living, usually, I'm usually behind a counter somewhere, usually in a ca- cafe, that you get to see people I in that moment that they've been able to break away and reform from from their their grind and reward themselves. <laughs> no, <laughs> they've been break. They can break away from the from the pale mundane for a moment or whatever they're going through and whatever they're doing to, and and reward themselves. They've been thinking all day long. God, if I just get this stuff done, I can go to the cafe and I can just get that. I can just steal that fifteen minutes where I get a cappuccino. I sit in the corner and I just pretend that I don't have a bunch of other stuff to do, you know? So it's kind of like these little mini feasts inside their day. And I get to kind of feast with them. And then they leave and go back to the fast. And then someone else comes in. I'm like, hey, happy feast. (laughs) You know, you finally made it. But it's like a daily cycle to a certain extent. So I think that there's some wisdom in that, in the sense that even in the feast, you build these little, even in the fast, you build these little moments, you know? But in the day-to-day life, thinking about that pattern of fasting and feasting. Um, but then the other, I'll give you a, a, a curveball take on this. Thank you. Um, I think that the feasts that I that mean the most to me as I think about it are, they are physical food and drink and wine feasts. But it's like when I was living in Denver or when I was living back home in Missouri taking care of my mom, and um, I would get a chance to come to California, and I would show up, and I get in the car, and I get I go I go rent rent the car, and then drive down, and then I would show up at the Schneer's house. Usually, I stay at the Schneer's, and a, a bunch of little girls would come and just like dogpile me and wait, hug me, hug me, hug me, hug me. And when you kind of haven't had real full community, that's kind of a feasting, kind of even a feasting of of gratitude and presence and physical touch. You know, of just like just just being dogpiled and appreciated, but then that would always turn into, oh, here's what we're going to cook, and me and Justin would start talking about it, and especially when I would come in for like Easter or Thanksgiving, <laughs> we would be like, we would get up, and make a bunch of food on a Saturday morning, eat this massive bunch of feasting food and stuff. And then while we were eating, we start talking about what we're going to make for lunch. <laughs> we would like have whole days of feasting sometimes. And, and, and one particular, one of those I'm thinking of is that um, Justin and I made these massive omelets and sheet pans of thick, thick, you know, peppered artisan uh, bacon, like heirloom pork bacon that was like thick cut. And, um, we made all this stuff. We had white wine and the mimosas and all this stuff. And like Hope kind of had a headache and wasn't hungry and the kids didn't really eat. And so it's like me and Justin finally got done cooking and we sat down and we had like this immense amount of like omelet and like an entire sheet pan of bacon. And, and me and Justin just like grabbed a bottle of white wine. It's like 10.30 in the morning on a Saturday and just started just eating Fizzfuls of bacon. And that was a pretty spectacular <laughs> feast. All right. Thank you, man. And I love you so much, my Italian. You're beautiful, <laughs> you're amazing, and everything you do is magic. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Andrew. So uh, one thing that, that you do, Mother, that I want to try one of these Wednesdays is, uh, is not eating anything before the Eucharist. Like I, I've, I've never. The cops like, yeah, we do this all the time. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I, I would, I would love to, to walk. I would love to walk into liturgy starving, because I, I, I really do think there's, there's something, 
psychosomatic there that you walk in and you're hungry because you know you're going to be fed by the Eucharist. And do I yearn for Christ as much as my body yearns for food right now? You know, do, do, I, do I feel the hunger that's more intense for Christ in my lack than, than I food? Please, please, Natalie. That's, this is what Schmemann talks about, Father Schmemann, um, Father Alexander Schmemann, and for the life of the world, right? Like this, this whole concept of um, we hunger and we thirst, and this is meant to point us to a greater hunger and a greater thirst. That's the best book in the world. It's so good. For the life of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Natalie Bechet, everybody. Hi. Who was just on the episode that came out this morning. Yeah. So that's fun. Um. No, so I can speak to, so there's multiple things. You guys mentioned that the, um, like, I think you said that you wanted to break the fast at midnight or something like that. What did you call it? Midnight office. Mm -hmm. That's the traditional way that Copts, like, celebrate the feast. Actually, they they usually pray until the morning, but we want to eat so badly that we backed it up until, like, eating right after midnight, like you were talking about. Um and that's like very joyful and the tunes are very joyful and the church is like decked out in white for the resurrection and it's really like beautiful. But something we do on the Friday or like typically the Friday, Fridays of Lent, um, is we like for our liturgies, we're not allowed to eat nine hours before, eat or drink. Um, so it's like what like mother does of not eating before the Eucharist. And there's, yeah. Not even water. Right? Yeah. Um, not even coffee. So <laughs> <laughs> not even coffee. Yeah, that's the more. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have a headache all all day, right? Coffee's coffee's the more painful, but water is the more surprising to me. That's oh, what I, I that's see. What I, mean. yeah. I see. Um, so yeah, so you enter church at three because the liturgy is like three to six, right? So you enter church at three, three to six p.m., and you're just like like you can't even sing the hymns. You have such a bad headache, like you're starving. And then I, I've experienced this is like, I take communion and I'm like, I'm actually okay. Absolutely. I almost like said I, that when he was talking. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I, I like, part, maybe that was partially like an attack. Maybe that was also like the Eucharist does fill like some mm-hmm. of the bodily need that you felt like you were missing and you have to, but you have to be empty to like feel that. And I think that's like the very big part of why we, push ourselves is too like when you were talking about being just poor it's like so you can open your hands and receive the things that you were kind of depriving yourself of because you were filling yourself with other things and then having that in abundance during the feast period makes it so colorful right like you're saying that we can't have feasting all the time because then it just becomes so mundane mm-hmm. um there's it's it's just all the time and that's not lovely like my dad always says it would just be boring like if we didn't have this dichotomy of work and feasting. And I loved what Whaley said about how that's like little bits every day. Like mm-hmm. there are periods of fast and there are periods of feast like every day. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you, Natalie. Oh, yeah. I love you. And, and, it's, and it's even true. And other people could speak into this much more than I can. Um, but but there, there's something that... Think of the story of David and Uriah, right? So, so David is with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He wants to blame it on Uriah, so he brings him in from war, and then he tries to get him to go and sleep with his wife. But, but people, people who are athletes and warriors, like they know that that there's certain experiences that the body has that that makes us rest. And, and, and you don't want to be restful if you're about to, to fight in a boxing ring. You don't want to be restful if you're about to, um, play a soccer game or, or go to war. So there's something about the, the, just even the mind is, is more attentive, more acute. If, if you have been fasting from food and drink and sex and things like this, all these things are, are relaxing moments and they're, they're, they're experiences of home and a feast. And, and the fasting is the time when we're in battle. Right, mostly because we're we're seeing our sins more clearly. So it's even something built into our humanity to not to after a time of like we we can have the experience of home and rest and and kind of even being full and content, but that makes us slow. 
It absolutely makes us slow. So, so when 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 after we feast, we we do slow down. We're more susceptible to um, the bodily passions. You know, I mean, drinking makes us fight. I'm Irish. I know that's how this works, right? And and same thing with like food. I mean, it's just all these things they slow us down. We become less of an athlete. And and so there's something about the the diligence and the urgency of of fasting that that if we if we feast a lot, we just become slow. We become we become weaker. We become less attentive. And those who really really fast, you cops especially, I imagine, if you're nine hours every single time before receiving the Eucharist, like you're you're most attentive to the divine liturgy because your divine liturgy is what like twenty minutes long, <laughs> half an hour long, <laughs> like three hours long, right? So so you're 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 more like attentive for three hours because your body's like prepared and you and you're going into the divine liturgy like you're going into a battle. In a sense, I mean, and that—that's a really beautiful way of seeing liturgy, like uh, a receptivity of Christ's strength, etc. But there's something about that. So, yes, um, if you introduce yourself first, and then um, my name story, is Sarah, please. and um, story. I was just thinking about how much during the feasting we gorge ourselves, and and being the oldest of five in a family, and I'm sure there are families that are much larger than that. Generally, at least in my family, the habit was to eat as much as we can because survival of the fittest. <laughs> and um, and I remember like kind of branching off what she just said, feeling just so lazy and like my stomach hurts and I'm going to go throw up. And um, after so many years living with my family and having dinners this way mainly, I went and I lived with my aunt. And she is in a um, mother of a family of, you know, two boys and a husband. And um, they would have much smaller meals because their family was smaller. And I remember living with her um, at one point, we were fighting over pizza, like who's going to eat the most pizza? And she just kind of <laughs> pulled back and said, there's plenty of food. Like you don't need to fight over the food. And ever since that that time, I had a whole different kind of perspective on the food's not really what's important here. What's important is the community and the people that I'm spending these moments with. And um, I came back later after that experience and having um, gone to a restaurant with my family and celebrating a, a feast, Easter, and um, my sister was, you know, eager to get going and everybody had finished their meals and I was still, you know, had half an omelet left at this restaurant. And she said, come on, let's hurry up, Sarah, let's go. And I said, I'm enjoying my meal. <laughs> I'm taking the moment and I'm enjoying everyone being here. So that was really kind of the eye-opener. And um I hope it taught her something <laughs> too, yeah. but just being in the moment and with family and people and friends is just kind of what I take away from feasting. And even being, you know, here tonight, for example, I generally in social situations, I don't eat a lot because I'd rather be with people, talking to people, so. Mm. Amen. <laughs> and I, I think there there is a place, there, there's nothing. Thank you, Sarah. Even when we look forward to feasting and we, looking, we look forward to the rest and the leisure and even being a little bit soft, like being a little less attentive, being able to relax and, and almost like escape into the feast in, in a good way. Um, after the the diligence and making sure the the acuteness in our thought when it come, when we're fasting when we're really fasting, and then having being able to rest and and have the escape and the letting ourselves go that in in healthy feasting happens. Yeah. Um, something there were a couple of things that I was thinking of, and Sarah actually when she was talking about um, just like enjoying the present um, and enjoying this moment of feasting, I I wanted to give I guess sort of a um, a word of caution in that I think part of the great temptation we have, this is, this is always a tactic of the devil. Like he always wants to draw us out of the present um, because God is a God of the present and, and the present is where we always encounter him, right? And so the devil always wants to draw us out of the present moment, either into the past or into the future. And I think that this can happen, not think, I know from my own experience that this happens both with fasting and feasting. And where in the midst of a fast, we can miss some of the things that the Lord is trying to purify in our life in that moment because we're so focused on the upcoming feast. And there's absolutely the anticipation that you're talking about, but when um, there's like this, this fine line, right, between anticipation and like, being pulled into the future. And we have to walk that line carefully of, um, 
I think I think the difference is are we living for the future or are we living I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know how to articulate it. But uh but anyways, um the same thing happens though when we're feasting and it can happen. You know, I remember some of the like your first couple visits to the monastery after I had entered, um, like it was so hard for me to be away from you. And that was like very much a fasting. And then because of that, it's like you would come out to the monastery for maybe like three or four days. And day two, I'm just like already crying because I know that you're going to leave. And so, and that just takes so much away from, from the present moment of the feast, right? It's like, we're already looking forward to the next fast. And, and part of the very, like the very practical problem with not being in the present is that we literally don't know if there's a tomorrow on this earth, right? Um, And so we need to always be making sure we're, we're, taking full advantage of like what Jesus is doing right now, whether it's in the fast or the feast, um, because he's always doing something. Um, But the other thing I was thinking is part of the beauty of um, like this fasting for the Eucharist and and the liturgical fasting for the liturgical feasting, um, all of that is, what Natalie was saying, I almost said the exact same thing when you were talking about fasting for the Eucharist is like, if we're not going to eat, you know, like during the great fast, if we're going to fast until pre-sanctified and then have dinner afterwards, it might be that an hour before pre-sanctified, I'm just like, okay, pre-sanctified is going to be over at this time and that's when I can have dinner. But then I receive communion at pre-sanctified um, and I'm like, no, like I'm I'm good for a while. Like there's something that's even... Um, bodily satisfied by receiving communion. And I think, um, I was, I was also thinking about just like the fast that, you know, a lot of us will, um, both late and monastic will, um, abstain on great and holy Friday or great and holy Saturday. And, um, you get to a point where it's just like, you get to a point of physical weakness, um, where, um, especially if you've had like little food and little sleep or no food and no sleep where you just really become so acutely aware of your own poverty and your own weakness and, and you know that you need the Lord. And I think that's like, that's the greatest thing about these, these times of fasting, right? Either um, like whether it's involving food or not, like there's something in us that if we're not fasting, we can be trying to fill ourselves with all sorts of wrong things or disordered things. And I don't even mean bad. I just mean like they aren't they aren't Jesus. And we think that we're being filled by this time with our friends or we think that we're being filled with this or that. Um, it's okay to be filled with those things. We think we're being fulfilled by them. And that can, like, we can just be so self-deceived in that way, whereas stripping those things away reminds us that what we really need is Jesus, um, which sounds simplistic because it is. But. but that's probably why you love fasting so much is because that even that Because I'm like the most self-deceived person in the world. No, no. no I'm saying that. I'm but, not saying that's what yeah. you're saying, but like— But, yeah. like, but there, there is a, a certain freedom gained when we realize that. Mm-hmm. Like when, when fasting points to our— we start to realize this is what's keeping me from true happiness. And I'm starting to purge myself of these things by Christ's power. And that can be a very joyful experience mm-hmm. of saying, I, I actually see hope in my fasting because I've realized um, that maybe I can start getting rid of the things that are actually keeping me from the joy that I that Christ wants me to have, et cetera. Um, that's why it's it's kind of so odd to if you really live live the fasts the two shorter fasts Peter and Paul and Dormition they just don't quite you almost have to like rethink the time because mm-hmm. forty days just does begin to feel like this is how much time I need to fast before I get a feast mm-hmm. but then the other ones are shorter but then you also have the weekly fasts you know Wednesday Friday etc fast before receiving the Eucharist so yeah. We can rethink that, but I, I can see why. Like I said, I can see why you love fasting so much, because you do it well. You do, and and so when you when you do fast well, you you see the beauty in it, and you 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 see in it what 
what the rest of us like me certainly I just my stomach starts turning over when I think of fasts coming up. I'm just like I do not like them. I'm I am not a fan at all. Um, and I think it's because I think it's because I mostly just kind of feel guilty the whole time that I'm not doing enough. <laughs> I, that that's honestly that that's kind of what it is. I, and I and it's probably good because if I if I was doing enough, then I feel arrogant about it. So there's a, there's just a. Finding that that middle ground is is what I need to to actually see the the real fruit and and beauty in fasting. Mm. All right, anybody else? One more story. Yes, Lara, come on over. Oh, Catherine also. All Maybe right. two sisters should come up together. Yeah. Yeah, you should both come up. We have we have yeah. we have two mics. This is this is now Catechumen Lara. Okay. Well, we just um, said it. Anyway, who's so. who's Catechumen Catherine now? Now fully Catholic <laughs> Catherine's <laughs> little sister. <laughs> yeah. Can I tap this? Oh, <laughs> 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 that's like what this thing's okay. for. So that it won't well, first, and I just have a short thing to say. But first, I want to know, Mother Natalia. I have to know. What happened in the bathroom after you drank? <laughs> I, I threw up. <laughs> oh, I, I was just making a joke there. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not that gross. <laughs> she can take a hint. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say that basically our time on earth, like our suffering, it's all kind of like, and are looking forward to heaven, it's all kind of like one big fast, or, yeah, fast. And heaven is like our feast. Basically, that's what I was going to say. Because, at least if you're Catholic, you're always looking forward to the fast. I mean, the, the feast, which is like heaven, right? I so, look forward to the fast. <laughs> the fast, not the feast, not the fast. But, yeah, everything you were saying... Sorry, but it is true, Lara, that that's exactly why we fast and feast is because we are, we're, we're trying to orient our entire 70 to 80 year life. And we have little experiences that that is why, by the way, in the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, we say we remember the second coming of Christ because we, every single divine liturgy too, we're, we're already experiencing the fullness of life. <laughs> well. Yeah, and if you have something to say, Catherine. Uh, yes, I came here for a reason. <laughs> right, so, uh, me being an overthinker, uh, bear with me. Uh, about a year ago, when I started fasting with the Dormition fast, uh, I had this um, thoughtful struggle over it. I was wondering, what's the purpose of uh, fasting if after this we're going to feast? How can it be good to fast and feast at the same time? Because isn't fasting like a self-imposed suffering? And isn't it bad to impose suffering on yourself? Shouldn't the fast be a time when someone else is making you suffer? And then when you, <laughs> and then when you get out of that, you're feasting. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work in a world where God wants the, what's best for you? He doesn't want you to suffer, but he lets you suffer. And then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't think of fasting as a self-imposed suffering because that would make it an evil. Maybe I should think about it as something that's not that we might think at, we might regard at first as being suffering, but it's not actually suffering. So when I was uh, fasting at first, I was all uh, cranky and stuff because I wasn't eating my normal food. And then I thought, okay, Catherine, you just have to think less about food because it doesn't matter that much. You can't ruin your day. So I just stopped thinking about it. And I'd, uh, my mom would bake a chicken and I'd walk past the chicken and just say, just don't think about it, okay? <laughs> so Yeah, or your three eggs in the morning. Yeah, or three <laughs> eggs in the morning. Yeah, so, it, but it occurred, it seemed, uh, it began to appear to me after a while that it seemed like when I was fasting, I, every time I'd see something that I was not supposed to have, it, I would, it would revert my thoughts to what I was supposed to be thinking about, it, more to spiritual things. And then eventually it occurred to me that perhaps when you're fasting, it's like you're being drawn out of the world. Uh, you're going more into the spiritual realm, realm. You're trying to get closer to God. You're also doing more prayer and almsgiving. And then when you come back into the world, you're feasting. And then your, your thoughts about feasting have changed because uh, you're, you've just come out of a fast. So it, it seemed to me like when you're uh, fasting, you're drawn out of the world. Uh, when you're feasting, you're brought back into the world. 
So, and you're brought back into the world with your thoughts changed so that it's, it's like you brought a piece of heaven back into the fallen world and you're here to make it better now because you've been drawn out of it and now you're coming back into it. That's something you've gotten from being out of the world. So that's how, to me, uh, fasting and feasting were reconciled. <laughs> about a year's time to think about it. <laughs> Thank you. I th- yeah, it's like once you're once you're back in the world, but but purified through the fasting, um, you can um, drink poison and be bit by serpents and all of that. You know, um, I like I like I really like what you said. Um, both of you, I think that's a very good reminder, Laura, that like this is, as Father Michael was saying, like this is the whole intention of the fasting is to direct us towards the anticipation, the expectation, the hope um, of heaven, which is the eternal banquet, right? Like heaven is always talked about um, in scripture as being this feast, as being this. Um, and then I liked what you were saying, Catherine, about um, this concept of we think that it's suffering, but maybe. Um, what we're viewing as suffering is not actually suffering. And um, maybe the suffering is what's being purged. Because I just think of, I've shared this on the podcast before, but there was the time that a friend shared with me that um, they were giving up coffee for some sort of fast. Um, I was just talking to Abuna Timothy about this today. They were giving up coffee for some fast. And and I was just like, my my immediate response was, oh, I could never do that. And then as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, I have to give up coffee. Um, because like, that's not okay. Like there, there shouldn't be anything in my life that I can't give up. And so, so I, I decided that I was going to go for a month without coffee and I did. And Father Michael likes to tell me how horrible I was during that month. And, um, and, but it's like, it's interesting because in first giving up the coffee, I thought the suffering was being without the caffeine. But then as the time went on, I realized like, actually the suffering that was happening was this attachment that I had and this addiction that I had. Um, and through what on my, like for, at, at first glance, what I was viewing as the suffering was actually like um, the thing that the Lord was relieving me of um, through this. And then I went back to coffee once I, once I realized that I could drink it in a more healthy manner. I'd probably be good to fast from that again for a second, but we, we see it through others. I've, I've often thought that's one of the greatest joys of heaven. <laughs> Andrew cries heresy now. He literally owned a shop called Coffee Boy, so it, it, it's 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 in it's in his name. Sure. Either way. Whatever. I like that. She said, should we get up and scoot? And you said, sure. And then like gestured to stay. That was very misleading. (laughs) Um, Oh, mother. You just made me forget. Um, It's all my fault. Um, Suffering is not actually suffering. Like the actual suffering is the addiction. Yeah. you, You just said that much more eloquently than I was going to. But I was gonna say something else. But anyway, we're 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 at an hour now, so we'll go ahead and, and close down. Okay, everyone give a prayer intention yeah. all at once. Everyone is yelling at all. Everybody think of your prayer intentions in your head. Um, because that would take way too long. Um but mother, you think of a prayer intention and I'll do the spiel. Um okay. so thank you all for listeners on Instagram. Good to see the back of my phone and know that you're all you're all uh, watching us. Thank you for the time. Uh, do we know that they can hear us? I feel like we're kind of far away. Oh. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Um, oh, thanks, Cowboy. Yeah. Um, thank you all for being here, for joining us for Divine Liturgy. We all we all shared a liturgy together, and then we shared a feast together, a vegan feast, but still, um, I still get to eat my lemon meringue and, and pumpkin pie. Um, thank you all for sharing your thoughts and, and for joining us. Um, so if you're listening here on the recording, please do check us out on Apple Podcasts. We love the recommendations. I do read all of those. I can't read all your emails. Um, <laughs> we had someone who just emailed. Yeah, Can I, I thinking, say this? Please, okay. I was thinking. <laughs> we had someone now. who emailed, and they said, Dear Mother Natalia, and then they put in parentheses, or Father Michael, if you're the one reading this, um, which I highly doubt, but with God, all things are possible. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, not that mother's reading this one. Um, so, uh, do, uh, if you don't mind recommending giving us comments on Apple podcasts, we're also on Instagram, obviously. Um, we're also on Facebook and I'm on Twitter at Pate Michael. O. 
We have a nonprofit called Fotina, where we uh, try to assist in our own and other people's evangelization endeavors. Um, also, we have a portion of that goes to the church, of course, a portion of that goes to other missions that others are doing, and a portion of that goes to the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the naked, ill, the imprisoned. Um, so please support us if you can. For that, we have a Patreon, so you can give monthly, and that all supports our nonprofit. Uh, we have a Goodreads page where you can share what you're reading and you can see what we're reading and you can follow along with our media team. We're on YouTube audio only. We have a website, whatgodisnot.com. We have an email, whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's everything. Great. My prayer intention is just from my parish, uh, St. Mary's Proto-Cathedral in Sherman Oaks, California. Uh, we're able to welcome Mother here. Um, and my prayer and for all those of you gathered here. Uh, so I love I love my parish and also my new my new outreach in Santa Paula, California as well, um, where that community is um, growing and thriving and and all as well. So thank God for all of that, and also please do pray for them. Awesome. Um, my prayer intention is um, uh, the family members that I have that I really. Um, hope will come to enjoy feasting with the Lord, like those who really um, need to experience deep conversion. So please pray for for my family. Um, also, this isn't going to matter to anyone except for those who are listening to this live or watching on Instagram or the people in this room, but our bridegroom's banquet, our annual fundraiser for the monastery is September 10th. And I did a really poor job of like, I said that on one <laughs> podcast at one point. Um, but um, I definitely said it on one podcast at one point. I know I did, Maddie. Um, and thank you, Sarah. Um, so, um, <laughs> so on our website, ChristTheBridegroom.org, there's a tab for the bridegroom's banquet. This is not part of my prayer intention. This is just <laughs> me trying to get you to give us money, basically. Um, so you can go on our website to register for the banquet. It's free to register, not free to attend. I mean, it's free to attend. Oh, someone's underwriting the cost of the food. That's what I was saying. So um, Free to eat. Free to eat, yeah. And But you do have to register. That's what I mean. Um, and there's probably like five days left to register or something like that. I don't really know. Um, and then also I'm going to be on Matt Frad's show again, September 13th. Um, thank you. Natalie's birthday. Shout out to Natalie. Um, <laughs> so feel free to watch that on Pints with Aquinas. But it's, I found out it's not, so it's live for some like local people, but then. It's live for those who give him. Okay. So anyways, if not, it'll come out eventually after September 13th at some point. So. Um, but my prayer intention is for my family who needs conversion. We did hear that Mother Natalia, and I, I'm guessing this is accurate, is the most requested return guest on Pints with Aquinas ever. And now she's on she's on three times. So congratulations, Mother. Um, <laughs> doing big things. Let's see if they'll want a fourth. <laughs> <laughs> they never even asked me for a second. So All right. There you go. <laughs> Father, can you um, can you give us all blessings? May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May you be, as our prayers say, a lover of the feasts, but therefore also a lover in a sense of the fasts. To appreciate what God has given us and called us to, as we await the bridegroom, as we prepare our hearts and empty our hearts of everything that is ourselves and getting in the way, we participate in the purgation that Christ offers. Um, may you all receive this with great diligence and even joy and also look forward to and participate in the feasts as, as moments and opportunities to receive God's grace and to be grateful for all that he's always given and all that he will give. May our Lord gather a community around you to support and guide you in the celebration of these feasts that you may look forward to Christ in them as much as you do in your family and friends and in the food. May the Lord give you everything you need to prepare your heart and to receive the great gift of salvation when we will feast for all eternity at the great heavenly banquet. May the Lord prepare all of our hearts for this great and ultimate feast. May the Lord bless all of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 